Hello, and welcome to the Poma Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 1. Um, I'm your host, Dylan Linegar, and I want to just kind of wrap up, took a little break over the holidays there. Unfortunately, the Wednesdays uh, for the timeline were both um, Christmas and New Year's, and I decided not to, to put one out those days. So um, I, I kind of figured it around that time of year people have um, other things to do. So uh, I just let it kind of go, and... In the thought of having this transition to a more specific um, topic area, I decided I also wanted to kind of uh, take a break to refocus my mind a little bit. And the season one stuff um, is just kind of me talking about whatever was present of mind. It's um, just a direct conversation into a microphone and uh, take it for what it will. It's not really intended with any specific purpose. It was just what was on my mind or topics that I kind of felt um, I needed to talk about for the ability to contextualize some of the things that I would talk about now and uh, continue to talk about. And so this episode is called Visions, and it is about uh, the literary tool of using the visions of characters to foretell future and also the the task of um, an author or a creator to have a sort of vision to be able to um, convey that storyline. So all of the um, fictional television and, and uh, that we watch has to be you know invented and and found somewhere. All of the books and, and stuff that we read. So it's uh, in complement to the idea of applying a visionary tool. Um, from a literary and a construct, construct basis. So I want to apply that in the real world. Um, we, I mean, whether people like it or not, or whether there's partisan issues around it or not, um, the world's not exactly um, driving itself in the right kind of way. And um, the increase in the othering of people and uh, the failure of international communities to be able to cohesively problem solve. Um, I have to kind of look at my, what my little place can be as a human being in this giant mess that we're in. And um, one of the tools that I have is this kind of visionary tool. As a, a writer and as someone who enjoys fiction, uh, I've constructed hundreds of environments and storylines. And because I want to enjoy that um, that effort. I actually seek to learn about lots of little details around a broad spectrum of things. I'm not really a specialist in any particular form of information, but um, the act of going to construct these kinds of visions requires going out there and accumulating a, a vast variety. Because I would like to have some kind of contextual validity and so that the storyline makes sense and then it flows so you know I, I lose hours around one sentence because i just want to make sure you know is that the right term that people should be using for that period of time so when the model works in reverse uh, it also works in a forward way so the idea that i've been working on and, and that i am now moving forward is it's 2020 as my way of life is called the clandestine survival initiative and what it really is, is um, I took a bit of time and, and I wanted to talk to some people who um, have the responsibility to, to lead us. And uh, I engaged some politicians during uh, our most recent election. But um, the nature of our partisan design doesn't really permit the kind of risk required to have the, the transitions required for um, for the kind of problem solving we need to embark upon. So I thought about like um, the, the situation that we exist in is is absurd, and therefore a resolution can also be um, absurd. So when I try to think of a problem, I end game it and then work backwards. So what is the resolution that I'm aiming for? Okay, now what are the steps that would need to be put in place in order to make that happen? and lead towards that outcome, or at least steer towards that outcome in, in a better way. And 
um, you know, you don't have 100% predictability. This is not any form of exact science, but, you know, you still have to have a plan. And that's the piece of the puzzle that seems to be missing from people's dialogue. And, um, you know, I'd much rather be just a, a quiet, unknown little, you know, cog in the great machine of humanity and live my happy little life because um, I, I do kind of just enjoy a happy little life and I'd like to keep it there and I don't think it's going to stay there uh, embarking upon such um, a challenging landscape of conversation. Um, the, you know, we talk about wedge issues and it is what people are very attached to emotionally or because of uh, specific circumstances or anecdotally because of people they care about. And, you know, that's a, that's a difficult power to try to address with just rationality. It's, it's not, rationality is very rarely comforting, it, you know, um, but the clandestine survival initiative is just saying, okay, you know, we, we can't afford to wait for the political class and the business class to do the right thing. Um, we have to put the plan on paper and we have to show what is possible. And then that's going to kind of force people into behaving a little bit better where it comes to uh, global governance comes to, you know, and again, it shouldn't be my place to be saying this kind of stuff. I'd rather be doing much different things right now. And I want to be perfectly clear. There is a clear distinction between the policy directions advocated under the clandestine survival initiative and the personal policies that are the preference of Dylan Linegar, right? And that needs to be very well known and very well established. And that's another thing I kind of wanted to talk about in this vision exercise of the clandestine survival initiative. So in context of that, like people wouldn't want me to be supreme overlord of the world, right? It would I'd be willing to do things that um, I don't think we'd really want to have happen. Just for the sake of not really thinking about it that hard, I'd just be like, no, X, Y, Z are things that need to change now. Um, and we need to have a softer transition to that kind of stuff. So what I'm proposing within the initiative is that because the nature of the problems that we have, a lot of it stems from the structural design of both the economic and political systems that we are operating under. They only have certain toolboxes at their disposal to problem solve. And um, when they're competing against the, the constructs that we've been built and have been building, it, uh, it it's led to some significant distortions. And so we want to be able to embrace um, many of the positive characteristics of a variety of structural designs. So the clandestine survival initiative is about establishing an economic framework and a political framework for general governance and moving forward structurally. It's more about establishing uh, a utilitarian um, approach to um, common problem and then allowing partisan interest to dictate uh, the more limited range of partisan concerns. So uh, the centerpiece of it is really economic because um, the way we have our um, economic systems operating today, the ability to stimulate what needs to be stimulated in terms of technological and relief uh, disaster support like just all of the the natural consequences of what we're going to have to endure like <clears throat> sat like no matter what even even if the plan that i had hits all of its markers we're not seeing trend reversal for like well past my lifetime you know like 70 80 years before we're we'd be able to have meaningful and that's like really going at it. And I don't think we're going to hit the ground as fast as I'd like us to. So, you know, we're talking about until, so the, the idea is really putting on paper a plan to transition to uh, the year 2500. So the people of the 26th century in the year 2500 want to exist. 
that is the absurdist premise of uh, the initiative. And it's not that absurd to presume that humanity still wants to exist then. So they are going to take their money or a significant portion of it, and they're going to lend it to us now in order to pay for their survival. Because they recognize that the current line that we're in, based on, you know, whatever, reading our books, or it's not good for them, right? They may have a bit of money, but like <laughs> 2,500 would be really bad. So they want a better future. They're going to invest now. So uh, the number that I'm working on is, it's it's large and it's kind of absurd and, and I'm not, I'm not 100% on it. Like I'd really want some um, smarter math people involved in getting, you know, right down to it. But ballparking, it's in the like 784,000 trillion dollars uh, or euro probably euro pegged against because of it being a broader um a currency but um uh, not really to peg against but just to, at some point um we have to pick a um a valuation of some kind in establishing a new valuation system it just you need to have one of the it's about making the math formulas work you have to have one of the conversions um or none of the formulas are going to work. So you're like, well, uh, you can't just make a formula out of all unknowns. I mean, you can. You just are really hard to get the answer. Um, so by putting a plan on paper and outlining a framework, it comes from um, using this premise in order to insert uh, money into our current marketplace. Now, people are going to have the opportunity to decide, um, you know, the, the bulk, of all of our economic philosophy boils down to two concepts, and that's valuation and trust. So if we can agree on the value of things and we have trust that that's retained and that will, you know, people will honor their whatever, uh, then the economy can exist, right? Um, in other than just direct exchange of specific goods, like bartering, right? It's not an ideal economic design having to go back to like, okay, I have four potatoes, uh, what can you give me for them? That's that's not healthy for us. We we we're, we've moved beyond that, and part of that is the plan is acknowledging that we've built a framework of a variety of, of useful tools, and that um, what makes them bad is that partisans get a hold of them and they use them as like bats to slap each other with or intentionally harm it with their policies in order to undermine the philosophy of of whatever the prior party or whatever so um the governance um reforms largely involve declaring where things are neutral versus partisan so by establishing and more clearly defining the economic tiers, we actually shift the political framework. And I'll talk more about this as time goes on, and obviously publish more about this all as time goes on. In order to, I mean, it, this is this is so complex that I only have like twelve percent of it, right? And there's, um, and that's, and again, this is the Poma podcast, but this is all like off the top of my head in a, a stream of consciousness so don't get like whatever angry letters but it's not what i'm here for um there's no judgment call on any particular element of the past intended like people are going to infer it by the nature of some of the economic design models i know what it's going to suggest about um certain types of behavior um, because it's going to eliminate or make um, it significantly harder to have profiteering, not profiting, profiteering, there's a big distinction, but um, utilitarian efforts need to be as close to at cost as possible because we just, we've established them as, okay, you know what, we really need to have these things around. Um, you need to have responsible compensation structures in order to attract the, the kind of oaths and duties that go along with some of these jobs and recognize people for that um, but sometimes you also have to acknowledge you, there's not an infinite pool of money with which to operate under so it's you know the the 
the amount of resources that really have to go into just figuring out how many resources there are in every year for governments to operate with is ludicrous for the year 2020. Um, we have, you know, and, and really, these, these, some of these are problems I expected. When we started doing work, and, um, you know, at the time, there was a bunch of Y2K projects going on because people are like, uh, we may have made a mistake about whether or not things can go from zero to one. And <laughs> like, okay, well, that's, that sounds like a problem. Um, but it also kind of, you know, it jokingly pointed us at the fallibility of our short-term thinking because it was just like, okay, let's, hey, we built some the processing language. Oh, we never thought that this processing language would still be around, you know, 40 or 50 years later. Um, so you have a ability to build longer frame models now because we have a variety of tools. We, we've had the tools pretty much since like the 50s and the 60s. And some could argue many of the tools, 18, 17, 1200, 100, 0, minus 5000, you know, like a part of uh, the conversations that I've had in season one episodes are um, around the historical journey of humanity and, and our, our path forward. And so I feel it's uh, the only tool I can put out there is to go, okay, you know what, let's take something that is a fictional model of how a society got to the year 2500, right? How, the dawn of the 26th century, right? That, that's what it's about. So it's a fictional model of how a society got to the year 2600, given the problems that it has today, right? Except for, I want to say, well, why don't we just do it for real? Instead, don't have it be fiction, because we have the toolbox to do it. And, you know, there's going to be a large number of mechanisms put in place. It's not just inserting a whole bunch of money into today, because that would be highly problematic, too. These are insertions transitionally over time. And the reason the number is so absurd is that in order to invest in the year 2300 in a meaningful way, in order to go towards um, areas of technology that are going to be um, invested in, they're going to take comparatively much larger amounts of money than we're used to dealing with today, or at least the equivalents of. Right, so part of the idea is by having the different pegging. So um, tiering the economic model is the best way to achieve that kind of thing. So the, what I'm suggesting is a three-tiered model. And the top tier is, you know, somewhat predatory capitalism as we've come to know today. It's a, you know, full risk environment where you can embark upon, you know, a minimally, the idea is very simple taxation and regulation for the purposes of public safety and, you know, general health and that kind of stuff. Um, but beyond that, it's like, okay, if you think you can make money doing something, well, then go ahead, try. Uh, but with little help, right? It's that, that's the nature. If you want to be capitalists, here's some capitalism for you. Right. The middle model is an, an intermixed model. So it's a regulated utilitarian um, economy. But the intent is to have the currency pegged as the same currency as in the, the open and free market. So the, the upper, upper tier um, is, you know, the risk and capital markets. So that's where, you know, um, commercial debt, you know, many of banking, financial services, insurance, things could be in that, in that framework that are, um, in that sector or, you know, um, general commercial goods. The opportunity in the transition is for companies to determine what kind of companies they want to be. Right. And it's not, and that's where I think the missing piece of the design is, is that, you know, we've, the need to other 
um, people and to go, okay, well, you know what? My problems exist because some other person somewhere is doing something and, you know, that happens. And it's, it's, it's part of, it's only, it's a part of human nature. Um, you know, I, I'm not free of resentments towards some activity and, and, and people that I see. And it's, um, you know, I try a little, but it, I just don't try to inflict that much assholery onto the people I encounter in the world as much as I can. And that's just seems nice. I mean, <laughs> in my private space, okay. Uh, you know, and you may, and some of that might come through on, on this type of podcast or has in season one. Uh, but the need for framing things in a new way um it outstrips my need to have comfort and to remain you know just a simple peon um and it's it's uncomfortable and i don't really want like uh, i've been hesitating and and not um doing uh, what is needed because i been wanting to for as long as possible preserve some internal sense of sanity or at least recover my sanity um, because uh, when you are solution oriented being in an environment where people are more concerned about sustaining um, the operation than fixing the thing uh, it's it's very challenging um, and so crowdsourcing it to humanity at large seems to be the only viable model if you know if enough human beings kind of go okay you know what maybe this could make sense i could consensus there's definitely a component of it that every person is probably not going to like it's a it's a vast sweeping uh shift in design that is intended to completely transform both the economic and political realities of a lot of places so yeah there would probably be significant resistance um what we kind of have to do is look at um a consent-based approach to governance none of this is going to actually happen unless other people agree to make it happen you know again it's just a system design principle it doesn't exist until people agree it exists but once we agree it exists it does right it's that's the beautiful thing about an intellectual structural design is that all you really need to do is oh, okay that's the way it is now all right fine and we're not going to be able to successfully transition until we just kind of do it um so it's not that um you want to have chaos in transition um, and that's the other idea of why consent-based governance works is because you are required to contextualize policy decisions and you know put a put a decent case out there for what is going to happen before it happens and go okay you know what the reason we need to put this three-tiered economy going is because you want to have the economic motivators of profit in order to you know spur invention and to find efficiencies in operations and find new ways of doing things right there are clearly advantages to our human gain from having some form of economic systems based on trust and risk and opportunity and, and entrepreneurialism so like we don't want to lose that um excuse me we call like one of the, I'm framing it as the advanced entrepreneurial economy in, in the sense of what this three-tiered economy can accomplish. And for branding purposes, to put it in a more like positive spin, it's not like, it's not about socialism or a capitalism, it's about reality. And we need to just operate there for a little while. And, you know, the partisans are still going to have all their partisan issues. That's that's fine. And it's it's good. I mean, the journey for our social spirit and everything else is still going to continue um, for humanity, but we can benefit from stuff we've already figured out, right? And, and, and is of benefit to us. So we haven't all figured it out. That's, that's 
um, a key thing to know. It's not necessary. I mean, a lot of the key pieces of structural design and economic design are out of incredibly uh, like small, focused disciplines in which you know only dozens, maybe hundreds of people on the entire planet would ever dream to embark upon. Maybe like five or six of them are actually like truly experts. So, you know, it's and hopefully some of those people are going to go, oh, wow, you know what, here's my view on, you know, the, the missing pieces to this plan because um, I can only frame the outline. There's too many. Out I'm, I'm a single individual. There's no ability for me to um, ascertain the amount of data points to plot in all of the specifics for every dynamic in every jurisdiction. I mean, it's just, that's beyond my individual scope. But that's, again, why I've launched the Clandestine Survival Initiative, because it's just saying, well, you know what, one person can't quite do that. But, you know, if we cooperate towards this general idea and we put, you know, certain pieces in place, we can actually move towards a model that will work for us. And so the idea of tiering the economic model is uh, having that free capital marketplace, having a utilitarian design in the middle. So there's some profit, but, you know, likely you're going to have some elements of price control. You're going to, or at least, you know, preferred provider networks or the power of state buyership, some direct operations of, um, of, of government companies or public, truly public companies, publicly owned. And, um, that can still have, you know, some viability and some elements of um, a risk marketplace. But really, it has to be considered that, you know, we've decided pretty much for a few thousand years, roads are of value to human infrastructure and society. You know what? You know, so things that we can agree on, utilities, the ability to deliver power, right, that's that's becoming somewhat necessity water is becoming somewhat necessity you know it's always you know you, you die without that so we can look at certain things we decided we want ambulances and fires and you know to a certain extent people would want to have varying degrees of military power hopefully we can by having a better design on the political and economic side hopefully it doesn't necessitate having such a significant portion of our economy dedicated towards, you know, cyclic destruction. But um, we can't fix all of the problems here. All we can really do is put, again, a little bit of a framework base. So the third tier is not pegged to the direct economy of the other two. They're going to have the ability to determine if and what value the third tier has. And the third tier is going to be um, like a, a new global credit. So it's meant to quantify um, voluntary social participation and other um, societal gains that are achieved by people. But we can't afford to compensate them within the, the direct market because um, the, the, either the money isn't there or, again, that would be um, a distortion effect We've um, predetermined that as much as there is a value to it, on a societal level, we can't put a dollar figure on it or, you know, it would break all of the models. Um, so come to thinking of it like, uh, and this is, you know, having families, everything. So whether it's volunteer activity um, or whether or not it's kind of it's social supports for those who have, may have limited capacities for various reasons, um, it's that's, I guess, where the kind of socialism is. But we can use, um, you know, cryptographic models and the the new kind of journals in order to sort of you maximize what one human being's maximum, um, you know, is under this kind of model. Like no matter how, even if you spend every moment volunteering every day, there's a certain cap out it as how much this system would do, and it would be pegged, right? So in some ways that economy has a natural um, top end of it can only have as much as if everybody was getting their maximum and it's an elective choice for people to not get some right so again that's the idea of consent-based governance it's you 
if you want to go like all keel um, never receive any kind of support it's all you know what you can accomplish there is still these other economic marketplaces and you can forgo or you know give your credit to somebody else but the idea of it is to be able to put valuation on a lot of activity that we don't and provide a, a socialized marketplace in order to have service provision for um so again this is these are really hard concepts to even get down for me um you know i'm, I'm not a currency expert but the design model it allows us to fit in and to quantify a whole bunch of activity that we don't and we can recognize it right and by having this credit model we can also um, have the insertions in order to provide sufficiency so the idea of having this tiered economy is really sufficiency and dignity for everybody because that that's just a nice thing to do and we have the resources and capacities with both the technology and the, the we do it, it's actually there and part of the idea of inserting some of that money is to achieve the buyouts uh, that would be necessary um, because there are people who would not play ball but i think if they were just offered here look you know what um how about you just get out of detrimental businesses and we'll transition you uh, into more uh, streamlined or, or useful ones to where we have to be going because um, the amount of resources that we're expending into uh, particular directions could easily be directed into uh, different uh, avenues so we don't necessarily have to fear the job loss model right because if you if you have this tiered system then this third tier that can also be your compensation tool um, and your relief tool for um, for periods of unemployment or transition or um, assistance for people so that and again by having it capped there's a maximum figure the economy cannot surpass certain valuations so that also allows the other two tiers to kind of go okay so how what are we they're going to have the option to hey you know what you can if you do volunteer like think of it kind of like how many of the um rewards programs kind of work and they give you points based on activity related to their brand right so the brand is kind of humanity and if you're serving human interest in general like um, you should be able to get some some kind of composition if you spend a couple of hours cleaning up a park even though it would be like you know of, of general benefit because the challenge our economic systems have right now is there are various classes of human labor which distort um, the reality of people's profiteering and because it represents a part of usually a very large expense in any operation and i mean that's would be one of our largest expenses moving forward is it would be paying people um living wages or better for their professional expertise um in very challenging environments and i mean i would imagine several of these people I mean, there's data packages that are thousands of dollars um just to get access to them so you know it, it is a challenging world to be able to try to assemble a utilitarian structure so um, there is no magic wand here when i'm saying we have to govern by consent it's that it will take almost all of us agreeing um, on having a transitional phase and i'm, I'm hoping that in the design or in the marketing of it we can convey um, in a way that doesn't attract too much of again the partisan um, viewpoint and it's not that there's again i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that i'm just saying it's very challenging for utilitarian structure 
if everyone wants to just scream, well, what about this thing? And I'm like, well, does it fit at all in this? Like, yes, you want to tweak it based on, you know, valid data points, but utilitarian design um, focuses on the broadest number of people being assisted and includes individual relief mechanisms for smaller groups that might have harms or transitions in it in the recognition that even if it causes a little bit of harm somewhere we can put in some kind of um, tool for that and that that little bit of harm is not worth stopping the entire progress right and so it's in when we're having conversations about um, power Right? And I'm not political. I mean, like turning on the lights and, and powering our de devices and things that we use and, and homes and hospitals. That, you know, the world is hungry for power. It, um, so one of the things that needs to be included in our design is you need to reward the product makers who look at energy efficiency uh, and capacities in their designs because. I mean, there are very small appliances with very massive loads because they're just like, oh, is this how much can come out of that socket? Then that's how much I'm going to like. The depletion, there's a lot of wasted energy in our current delivery system. And so part of our, we have to invest in batteries. We have to invest in um, transitional uh, energy sources because we don't understand half-life you know humanity like, clearly like the, the expansion of nuclear power i understand from my we needed more power and this was the only way we could figure out how to get that much and deliver it but we like it's we need to just get that stuff not happening at least certainly until we can get some kind of fusion or fission reaction um under a cleaner um model because just you know people just don't understand what a half-life is and the amount of risk we're putting at, and we just need to get that stuff off of our planet anyway sidetracked the ben and that's in order to achieve that kind of transitions we have to have that mass occurrence so again the, it involves the principle of there's an investment from our future right and we do that kind of stuff all the time. It was just not to this extreme and not to this extent, right? A lot of our lending industry is based upon the idea of a, a one body will lend out to another and will have a time-based framework for the framework of, of uh, being able to pay it back. And this is not a gift. This is an investment, right? So, you know, part of the tagline is, and the reason that the clandestine survival initiative is not a charity, right? This is an investment in survival, right? Because it needs to be an investment. We can't, and then again, that's part of that third tier, right? Where the charitable actions are, sometimes you can't afford to compensate those in the same ways that you would compensate professional activity. Because the, um, the resentments that it, it builds certain resentments. So by having a tier where we've already agreed this is the domain of this type of stuff and activity, it's softer. And when you have utilitarian access, it's the, look, if you don't like this kind of system, you're free to not purchase. You do not have to use your, you know, the, the socialized credit that is going to be created, right? So um, that third tier is important as the a relief mechanism and also um, with hope that the moneyed economies the other two tiers would actually designate a certain value so that you know um, your charity activity could be redeemable for discounts at, at various retailers and maybe that would be um, the act of redeeming some of that could provide a tax advantage i'm not again ideally you wouldn't want to have that because then you're offsetting and you have to look at where your tax exemptions are coming from the model you know and I'm saying things like this i can already you know some people's brains have probably already exploded and they're furious by even the discussions of, of having this kind of stuff um, but you want to have 
these three different tiers because we have different economic needs and we are a capable enough species now to be able to build into these models and it's not revolutionary we do this all the time we're continually um, adapting and tweaking and inserting various little pieces of of how we govern so um, in some ways the idea behind the clandestine survival initiative is to um, pick various different pieces and put together a jigsaw puzzle that will lay out a foundation of, uh, of better outcomes, or at least um, a coordinated design towards certain objectives. And I have every fear that other people would have of some kind of like quasi-super state taking total control over people, and that is not the objective. And I'll freely state that, you know, like... The ability for there to be individual thought and dissent is essential to human survival. Um, <clears throat> that's where most of our ideas come from. That's where most of our progress actually comes from. So we need to be very cautious. But you need to have mechanisms with which to restrain and prevent violence as much as possible. We do not need that as the tool for us moving forward. And that's the other key. You know, hey, like, as much as we may be wanting to kind of take over the world in a little bit of a way, um, it... This is about everybody agreeing about the transition. It's not about creating a new fight. Um, hopefully, with these tools in place, it will give people the ability to resolve some of their other problems. I'm not 100% on how, but it will... If we can solve some of the baseline toolbox issues and provide a framework that has capital inserts and motivators around certain um, technological inventions and certain supports for pure research in other areas. Because there's not necessarily an, an economic incentive to many utilitarian goals. And in fact, the economic incentive would be to prevent utilitarianism coming anywhere near somewhere where you're profiting. And I can appreciate that. And that's why the model recognizes that. And though there will be, that will be the domain of what the, where the partisan interests will probably be able to dictate over time is what components are part of the utilitarian structure and what are not. And, you know, we already have differentiation amongst the variety of global governance schemes. So tied to the economic model includes a political model that is not really a new way to govern. I mean, people have to govern in their own ways, but it's about talking uh, about the economic split and the division of resources and a suggested model for how, um, what kind of resources each has to work with. And again, this is where, you know, some people are probably not going to be happy because regional governments are the ones that would kind of lose out. The local, the biggest winners, I guess, in this design is local government because um, the direct, most of the direct services and the direct needs of civilization are actually provided by the closest level. And there's multiple, you know, blips on getting that the money that they need downward into uh, municipal design. So the, you know. A larger piece of the pie goes there. Regional government kind of weakens and softens. I mean, it depends on what your, what your national design is. Um, but certainly from uh, from here in Canada, the design that I'm proposing would weaken um, the economic strength of a regional government, um, which is probably something that our regional governments here would be incredibly hostile towards. And I, I can't I can't change the model just because it hurts some people's feelings. It's about you know what actually would work better and where the resources need to be based upon the appropriate directions of the goals of what a regional government should be. It's the duplication and the um, the crossed paths in all of our efforts to kind of do that. There's a lot of well-meaning um, efforts going on there that get slammed because 
the framework that they have to work in is so absurd. Their mission is essentially impossible. Nobody appreciates it. Nobody understands what's really going on. And yet the mandate still exists. And so you just people throw a dollar figure at it and then go, God, that's way too much money and start pulling it away. And like, okay, well, hold on a second. You didn't even determine what is required here before you decided to do all this stuff. So, you know, um, regional government is the loser in that so um we're adding but we're adding a new layer right because that's the other component of getting to the dawn of the 26th century is that the economic design is for an interplanetary species right um now which i i would suggest that the largest economic opportunities are saturn and jupiter but um you know i'm I'm not going to be alive to be making those decisions, um, but we need to build the model now, or at least before we need it, to be able to quantify that. And so, um, for those purposes, the initiative um, is taking the place of the interplanetary layer um, of governance uh, in contextualizing, okay, we're going to look at Earth from a perspective of one planet in a broader human society and by that thinking we're going to go uh you know what the earth needs to kind of get its shit together um so the goals of its governance is to stimulate um resolving points to address some of the key concerns in moving us towards that structure and there's an inevitability of our capacity and our growth and it's it's dangerous for us to not acknowledge that that's going to happen and we people talk about the complete inability for government to that it's reactive and it's not able to, it doesn't have to be that way um, because we can put in place a general framework for things that don't exist until such time as they do exist and then you can be like okay uh, what tweaks do we need to make to the general framework to support the reality of the circumstance and there's also the reason we have to talk about um, humanity as an interplanetary species is that there's key elements of our technological advancement that we can't really undertake um, on the planet because uh, i mean there's certain types of again the power if we could you know get a power station that floats above the planet that would probably be better than something that leaks nuclear radiation um so there are scales of what we are capable of that are too dangerous to really experiment about on the planet itself right we would and that's that's the weird place that we're in now is that we 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 are a species that has the capacity to destroy itself. Um, but let's not do that. And we don't, we don't have to do that. And clearly, um, the number of people who would rather not do that outnumbers. So why not just build a framework that's not about, you know, it's not some weird assimilation of everybody under some uh, single design or, or political system. It's about building... Um, modeling frameworks for even partisan governments to employ in how they want to um, approach things. So this, and the, this, it's like a, a naughty, it's like, a, it's a very small portion right now, the interplanetary. Um, and it would, it would largely stay that way until after 2300 um, in the, in the model. And it's moving from like a quarter of a percent to like 1%. So don't like, Oh, freak out um, that this is somehow adding a crazy new layer. So you just you have that municipal, regional, national, international, and then interplanetary, right? So those, you just have the layers to your political layers um, and how economic resources are allocated to those levels of government from the economic system will relate to their levels of power. So you it seems to be that people want their national government like and again this is this is a key point in distinction my personal model would not be to have 
as much money as the model does show for national level governments. I mean, I, I personally, I would prefer if people were just like, yay, I'm a human being. I like other human beings. And where you're from is kind of irrelevant. But that is not likely to ever be true. It's almost always been true. And it will continue to be true for and even in our inner planet being from you know venus or saturn is going to become the way of things and there's going to be entirely new cultural identities that are going to come about for the human species and once we embark upon that kind of layer and whatever um uh the that's why it's important to build something with um the understanding of human nature in it so there's the largest pools are to the national and to the local levels of government, the municipal level. Those are the two largest chunks because national is going to hold national defense and that's pretty expensive. Um, and there are some countries that dedicate significant amounts towards it. And we're not, we're not at a piece where people are a place where people are willing to go, Oh, you know what? I'm not going to bother protecting myself anymore in this global risk. So, um, that's, that's going to continue for quite some time. And it'll probably always have some element of it, um, until there's a trust matrix that we can, um, develop or, you know, uh, some other species threatens our, our survival and we actually get our act together and unify or some, you know movie plot like event uh, occurs but barring that this plan uh, works to get somewhere towards the future without necessarily having um, to have some kind of grand chaos take us um, to our epiphanies because um, really again i'm not inventing anything i'm really just kind of trying to employ the tools that I've learned um, and the systems that have been built throughout our time, right? They're just putting putting the Dukes out together in a, in a different way that quantifies um, what we really need to move us forward and what the, the future would look like um, in in a so, sort of like post-chaos world. Um, it's, I think it's, it's worth it. And the reason I'm doing this also is that there's millions of people in the streets and they're all screaming for action. So there might actually be an audience of people who are willing to go and think about, you know, okay, well, maybe if there is, you know, this little strange Canadian guy who seems to have um, a model maybe we'll look at it and see if we can't um, get some support behind it. And the idea would be hopefully that um, the initiative is going to, to gain some, some investment. So um, this podcast is still like, it's just going to be top of the head stuff offered freely. And I'm not, I'm not aiming to monetize this. Um, and I don't even really expect much of an audience for it because of my uh, complete inability to market anything effectively. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, no, but I mean, I have a number of deficiencies as it comes to enabling the, uh, the, the completion of this kind of stuff too. So, um, I'm much better, you know, just in a room kind of working it out and thinking and, and kind of going, okay, I think maybe this approach could work. Let's find the inputs and the outputs and, uh, and see what, what, what might happen and, and, uh, to build on the theoretical design and then we can work towards implementation. So by having a more declared system right um you can have you can have a, a new kind of cooperation or an understanding um and it also it relieves you know the the, the challenge around so many of the wedge issues and the, the the political theater that's going on is um you target the stuff that needs to have stability and the chaos it creates it drains a lot of resources out of the actual doing stuff like it, it just um the amount of layers we have to put on stuff uh, makes it challenging you want to have an appropriate layer of um 
you know, like you want to be observant. You want to pay attention. It's not a free for all. Uh, you need to have a regulatory regime of some kind. But by having a um, a plan that quantifies, you know, interplanetary, planetary, national, uh, regional, and, and local government concerns, and establishing the doctrine of like, okay, you know, this is where your core areas of responsibility are. You don't have to worry about the other things as much. You can freely spend in your area um, how you think is most appropriate, and each nation can do it in their own way, and each government can do that, and it's, it's not. But this model completely shatters how certain countries operate, and so it's, you know, I'm not enthusiastic um, about a, a rather vitriolic society having much uptake, but I can't sit idly by anymore, and I'm thinking, you know, if I have the ability to plot out something like this, um, I think it's it's a shame for me not to try and to say, okay, well, you know what, because I always used to say, like, you know what, there's smarter people in the world, they're obviously working on this kind of stuff, little old me, you know, really can't have the better idea than what the best minds of the world are working at. Um, and time continues to go by, and, you know, I'm hopeful, um, but realistic at the same point. So I can build with a bit of optimism, but I'll acknowledge where we're at. Um, uh, for weird reasons, I enjoy the language of, um, of government and uh, the court system. So being able to understand those designs allows like some of the things that the clandestine survival initiative is going to be making is um, template legislation right in order to transition um, places into this government the idea of creating certain bodies that would exist um, for this economy um, either by taking over the responsibilities of um, entities that exist now or by um, establishing a framework that never existed before. So, again, if it, it feels like it's negligent to not try, even though um, I have zero desire to engage with the public discourse that's kind of going on right now, but I don't think I really have that luxury anymore because, um, well, I mean, it's so clear and obvious that um, those who are seeking office don't have this level of a plan. Um, and that the discourse of our um, political theater right now isn't about resolving and part of the reason and i understand it I'm, it's not with blame that this is being given out it's not with any type of accusations you know people are living in the reality that we're in right now um, the amount of political risk anyone would take by even suggesting i mean just how toxic the debate is over carbon tax excuse me is um is kind of like really really weird um it's not really that and that's part of the challenge is that by wanting to quantify certain activity economically it has drastic impact upon how um, various industries and how certain things operate and of course there's going to be resistance so again that's why my model it includes a buy-off that's part of the reason that we need to insert so much friggin money in um, is that some of it has to go to just buying some people out and saying, like, look, we need to make you somewhat whole, um, ensure some supports for the workers who are going to be gone, and um, we need to just transition the hell away from something. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a judgment on the people or a judgment on the nature of the work. It's, it's very meaningful work, and people have every effort and every reason to take pride in that work. Uh, that's not, again, what, what having a shift in design is about. It's just acknowledging that our changing needs as a society um, should probably be addressed in a more meaningful way and to the least amount of harm 
um, for the most amount of people. So you want to try to, and again, there's some key, there's some recommendations that are going to come out of the initiative that are absolutely going to be problematic for me. And I'll, I'll get it since I'm already, you know, approaching the hour mark. I'm not going to get into those right now. Um, but uh, that, that's part of the reason of the hesitation is because they're so hot button issues and I don't see them as hot button issues. It just, I mean, we can approach them from a point of rationality and functionality and just move past it, move on. Um, I don't have that much attachment to certain things that a lot of people have huge attachments to. But then again, I have huge attachments to things that people have no attachment to at all. So, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm claiming no, um, no domain here at all. Uh, all I'm just suggesting is that the way my mind works is as an end game thinker, I can operate and have operated in building fictional models that resolve the future. You know, I, I've, in order to have plot lines and run story where the world isn't completely messed up, I have to bring resolution, right? A plausible resolution, viable resolution. Um, into the storyline in order to get it there and it only works if it's believable so you you want to also look at that from a perspective of um what can be brought into the meaningful in, in the real world that we're in and and that's that is what my vision and again yeah this episode is about vision so i've been trying to explain my vision and it it boils down to really just two key reforms on the economic and and the the dis really it's it's all economic but the distribution of uh, economic um, resources to the governance models also is a huge reform and change to the governance models so i did consider it two big reforms one economic and political but um, really the, the centerpiece is economic, so I, I wanted to focus on this first vision on that and, and just kind of try to highlight those three tiers a bit where you, ha you, you still preserve the ability to drive innovation and you, you want to have a, a risk and reward um, capital marketplace and, and have that risk and availability. But, you know, we have utilitarian needs now. We have, um, we have a societal interest in keeping costs low for utilitarian products. So, you know, you, we want to, again, we can have either the, the equivalent of public corporations, um, and, and again, there's lots of tools in each toolbox, and this mid-tier is the, the hardest to probably get people around because establishing the lines of what is and is outside of like where that uh, at what point can you you know charge whatever you want and what point do you have to like play along with the you know with the government scheme and uh it, there's not a huge amount of trust in government right now and that's going to be a real challenge because having these models move forward it, it relies on the core element of economics which is trust and valuation and if um, you know, it, it, that's the challenge for me is to try to sell this in a way that will um, build trust that the, the, the needs of our current economy can get a, you know, a short-term jab for transition so that it isn't so hard. You know, it, we don't have to have immediate resistance to the idea just on the idea. It's like the idea is include you know relief mechanisms for transition because you can't can't have that and in fact there's there's multiple periods of relief it's staged right it's, it, this is a pathway to the 26th century right and we are going to have many i mean the transition from today to interplanetary is going to be so um so interesting uh, that I, we can't quantify all of their needs. Uh, there's likely to be significant economic distortion when it starts coming to being able to mine or access the physical resources of 
you know, the asteroid belt or, or other moons or planets. So, you know, what the, the fixed resources that we think of on Earth will be vastly distorted once, you know, we've developed uh, the ability to harvest or to, you know, utilize the resources that are more abundant in other places that, you know, if you find a moon made out of gold, you know, that's going to have a huge impact on the gold market, right? So, you know, that, that we shouldn't, again, this is the totally talking off of uh, tongue in cheek stuff, right? So, um, please save judgment for the actual published materials of the clandestine survival initiative. This is just, um, my own little um, discourse on it. Hopefully it'll accent what I'm going to be working on. But season two of the podcast is going to focus almost always on the initiative, components of it, progress, um, and hopes for it. And um, if you would like to assist in any way, there's a GoFundMe.com, Better Policies for a Better World. You could um, lend some support there. Um, there I'm going to get a door again we're going to run on a commercial enterprise model because uh, just the ability to um, send capital and to utilize it in, in that model is, is better even if um, even if the aim of it um, would fit some things that could receive um, a charitable status or or at least a tax deductibility or non-profit or ngo or whatever um, I, I think this is the kind of smarter way to go for us for now um so there will be um the ability to shop um, for the clandestine survival initiative uh, before it's too long uh you know it'll be digital products and exorbitantly overpriced so that uh, <laughs> it can represent the, the making the investment and it's really just a token you know kind of thing that's being given for for being able to provide investment and support but um yeah, that's that's the direction and that's the vision. So I have this vision of, of a human society that is still alive in the 26th century and they're very concerned about us right now. Uh, so yeah, I got them to agree to lend us some money so that they can have a better future and that we can have a better present. Uh, if everybody can just believe me and we can agree that that money does exist um, and is going to be indexed over a incredibly long period of time to zero out in the end um, and who knows it may even deliver profit for the future um, if we're able to turn it around and uh, and have the patent rights and some of the new technologies that we've um, we've spurned and initiated so it will be um, it will be that kind of goal and objective that uh, we're going to be aiming to try so in exchange for kind of uh, skipping out on the New Year's and the Christmas episodes, here's a, a double-length introduction and, uh, and my vision for the Clandestine Survival Initiative. I'm your host, Dylan Winninger, and I hope you're having a good day.